first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentleman golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. everyone episode 58 of golf rules questions podcast with uh, myself and Stuart McPhee welcome along Stuart thank you Blakey great to be here uh, yes you you are currently in Melbourne and I am currently I am back in, back home yes uh, that's right you've been in Queensland last week uh, and I am currently in London in the UK so uh, coming to you from there um, because we've got a very special event coming up this week, which I'll go into later in the podcast. Uh, but first of all, what do we have to cover? Well, the first thing we should do is the GRQOTW from episode 57 from last week. And this was Fraser, whose ball became lodged in the fork of a tree about a foot off the ground and thought, well, this is uh, too difficult for me to hit from where it is. Just with his, you know, with his foot, just kicked it out of that fork of the tree, it landed on the ground, and then he um, proceeded to play his next stroke uh, from that new position. And the question was, were there any penalties? And if so, how many and why? And he completed play the hole um, from that new position. Yeah, so he's kicked it out of the tree. Um, I think the club captain might have tapped him on the shoulder or something like that. And... <laughs> And in the end, the number of penalties is two because he played from a wrong place. Now, the committee would have to work out, and obviously the club captain saw all this, uh, but the committee would need to work out whether it was a serious breach, um, which would involve possibly a disqualification if he teed off on the next hole or um, signed his scorecard if it was the last hole of his, of his round. Um, but obviously the club captain um, saw it, so he would be in a good position to make that that call. Uh, but if uh, an interesting one that we were sort of just thinking about in the answer was if Stuart uh, if Fraser was actually trying to improve his conditions or potentially did improve his conditions, um, and then caused the or and caused the ball to move and played it from the different position, he would actually end up with four stroke penalty, two two stroke penalties in stroke play. Obviously, um, just one of those two stroke penalties would be loss a hole in match play. But yeah, and if he's improved his conditions or potentially improved his conditions affecting the stroke, um, say breaking the branch um, that was holding the ball then the ball, the ball falls out and he plays it from the new position um then he's just going to get the uh he's going to get two times two if he had put the ball back if he breached um you know improved his conditions but put the ball back he would just get the how many penalty strokes do it well for 9.4 is that what you're saying moving the ball in play would be one well stroke. it would be the bigger if of he's the improved the conditions 
Well, if he's improved the conditions affecting the strike, that's two strike general penalty. Yeah, that'd be two strike. So even though, two, yeah. even though it'd be two and one, if he put the ball back, it would just be the, the two because it's the bigger of the mm. two penalties. So an interesting sort of ruling. Yeah, an interesting sort of question and ruling there for the separate uh, and unrelated acts um, or related and unrelated acts. Um, but in this case, it was uh, it would be uh, just the two-stroke um, penalty for playing from a wrong place. It's just interesting on that, you know, 14.7, which is what's happened here, playing from a wrong place. And, you know, there's two levels of penalty for that. One's either general penalty or you mentioned potential disqualification if it's a serious breach. You'd almost wonder if the committee would take into consideration like the kicking of the ball almost seems disrespectful to the game. You know, it's not as if he just gently picked it up and thought, well, I'm not playing it from the oldest played over here. It was almost just the aggressive, oh, you know, disrespecting the game. <laughs> not that I would suggest it would be a serious breach, but you wonder if the committee would consider the actions which led to him, in fact, playing from a wrong place. Um, just, you know, obviously it's a case-by-case -case basis isn't it, whether it's a serious breach or not, and the committee has to make that decision. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a code of conduct thing as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we look at 1.2 just quickly, which is quite an interesting, um, there's an interpretation there about what they believe is a breach of code of conduct and uh, what wouldn't really um, breach the code of conduct. So examples of actions by a player that are likely to be considered serious misconduct, seriously, uh, deliberately causing serious damage to the putting green, disagreeing with the course setup and taking it on themselves to move team markers or boundary stakes, throwing a club towards another player or spectator, deliberately distracting other players while they're making strokes, removing loose impediments or moveable obstructions to disadvantage another player that after that after that, other players asked him or her to leave them in place. Wow. Repeatedly refusing to lift a ball at rest when it interferes with another player in stroke play. It says repeatedly, so just doing it once would mm. sort of be a more of a warning. Deliberately playing away from the hole and then towards the hole to assist the player's partner. Deliberately yeah. not playing in accordance with the rules and potentially gaining a significant advantage by doing so despite incurring a penalty for a breach of the relevant rule. So that's that's pretty much the one that you're talking about. Under there, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, not, you know, even if they do incur that two-stroke penalty, they, as you said, um, didn't play in the spirit of the game and potentially they, yeah, get a disqualification for that. Um, you know, that's that yeah, Bill Mickelson one from uh, a few years ago. Well, when he played, part of the, or made a stroke at the moving ball. Yeah, when it's not the, really. It's going to go off the edge. You know, and mm. he got the two-stroke penalty, um, which was the dumbest decision ever. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it, it just looked, it was a bad look on golf, basically. And you've used better words there. I just said, you know, um, but it's within the spirit of the game and whether something like, you know, aggressively sort of kicking it out, as I said, it's almost disrespecting. Anyway, I, very much up to the committee's discretion to make that determination on a case-by-case -case basis. I think, uh, I don't know, there, there's one here that might actually get me in trouble every time I play. Repeatedly <laughs> repeatedly using vulgar or offensive language. I mean, if you don't drop the F-bomb when you play golf, are you even playing golf? 
But um, anyway, that's the uh, that's the GRQOTW for week fifty seven. If you don't, are you playing within the spirit of the game? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Remember that golf was golf was built, uh, you know, created by Scotsmen. Um, not I'm not saying that they swear a lot. I'm just saying that they probably <laughs> created the the swear words as well. What what's that saying? Golf, golf. They only came up with the word golf because uh, all the other four-letter words were taken. Four-letter words. Yeah, I believe that. So, we probably need to move on. Yes. Um, what's, and what's we're going to move then? on to your latest video, which I think is a a great situation, which so many club golfers could potentially find themselves in. And this was one of the. Well, in fact, it's the world number one uh, women's player in Jin Young Ko at the LA Open not so long ago. Um, where she pulled a approach shot to the 17th green left and it landed and came to rest in a red penalty area. And right in front of her, between her and the putting surface, was a concrete, like almost retaining wall, which was probably a little bit higher than her. And she's attempted to uh, hit a wedge out and almost like a bunker shot and just get it out onto the green. It's hit that concrete wall and remained within the penalty area, made another attempt to hit, and then eventually... Um, her judgment has got, you know, I probably just shouldn't need to take relief out of this red penalty area and eventually did. And, and I think, so that's the scenario. So if you can talk through, I mean, it's just a red penalty area, but there's a twist on this and that is having multiple shots or having at least one stroke from within that penalty area, but then the relief options available to you uh, once you do that. So if you want to talk through that, please. Yeah. So she's thought that she could, make it over the wall with her first shot um which as you said was really high it was actually probably it was probably higher than her caddy who looked about six foot something and she's left it in there um now you still have the relief options under 17.1d uh a penalty of one to get yourself out of the penalty area you even have an extra option now to drop it um back where you played it from within the penalty area although that wouldn't have been a good option for her <laughs> but she then she then thought that she could attempt it again to try and get it get it out with the club um you know with a stroke rather than taking the penalty paid the price again but that she still has those relief options no matter how many strokes are made within the, the same penalty area the it, it is important to note that if she had somehow got it out of the penalty area and it had um, deflected and rolled back Come in. Back in. Um, mm. Now she may, um, you know, this this is a hypothetical, but she may have a different last point of entry into the penalty area. She'd be same, uh, afforded the same relief options, but just possibly in, different, in a different spot. Um, so if you play from within penalty area and you can't um abstract uh, i was gonna say abstract it um extract get extract it, yeah. out of it or exit get, get out extract mm -hmm. it out of the penalty area then you can play it again from where it is or you can take those relief options going back to your last place played outside the penalty area back on a line um behind the last point of entry in line with the flag behind the um, penalty area or because it was red this one um, the lateral relief which is within two club links um, but if you hit it out and it comes back in you exactly the same 
options, but possibly a different, different reference point. A mm. different reference point now. So um yeah, Jin Young had to end up taking her medicine and I think she ended up with a big fat eight there. I think um I think and that's been and this video is only just been recently posted and doing really well so far as views is concerned and and it's got quite a few comments and of course some of those comments are hang on she decided to play from within the penalty area how did she end up taking relief out so there's obviously a fair bit of confusion about the fact that you still retain that option of using the last point crossed as a reference point and taking your options outside and if I can just add this reminds me of the story you talked about with Kevin Nah how he's hit into a jungle, tried to get out. And then of course his last place play was right next to him. And he, he lost that ability to go back to the tee. So then he's really constrained about it. Well, back on the line is further into the jungle. Last place played is just there and two club lengths. And he's sort of given up that. Whereas obviously if you're in the same penalty area, you still have that ability to get out of there um, under those, as you said, the relief options under 17.1D, one, two and three. But the pennies are un unplayable, you don't. You sort of lose that. And I know we're going to touch on course setup, and that's quite an interesting thing that we um, could touch on because when you're setting up the course, you know, penalty areas are so good now. Um, and what I say by good is you can do exactly the same stuff in the general area, um, have a practice swing touch in the ground, you can lift loose impediments. Um, but if someone leaves it in the penalty area, they can still come back outside the penalty area. So when when um, committees set up their courses, you know they can have that in mind. Um, a big area of wooded trees, um, long grass, they can make penalty areas now, and that gives that player the option to come back outside um, that last um, point of entry that on on the line. That, uh, that it's crossed into. Um, it's a great point you make, and you, sorry, I was just going to say it's a great point you make. And what we're seeing now is committees um, put in penalty areas where there's just no sign of water. There's no water anywhere, but they they just they obviously recognise that it's a good opportunity to put a penalty area in for those very reasons, and to say yeah. that Kevin Nart, for example. Yeah, and even though I know you at the start of the, the season you said, oh, it was a great video. I mean, it was a great situation. Well, I mean, it wasn't a great situation for Jin Young, but uh, it is a good situation for, as we say, the club golfer to learn from um, and see what how the rules are actually uh, actually played. Now, um, it was funny because that actually I saw it happen um, at the international series of England last week, actually on. Saturday, yeah, Saturday. Um, so it was a last couple of groups coming through, and um, Barry Henson from the US, he was on the eighth hole and he's hit it into the penalty area right of the eighth hole, right of the eighth fairway. And it's somehow like, like that penalty area um, on the eighth on the right is actually comes in, cuts in right off the tee. And so if you hit one right, um, you're basically your point of entry is probably 50 meters from the tee, from the but, tee. but you can't because it curls around, you can't really see it. So he comes down and we can see it. And actually, it had stopped the sort of on this up, up uh, hanging lie above this bit, bit of a ditch. 
And so we were like, how did it stay there? Anyway, he goes, oh, and we were like, like this. When he comes down, we're like, and he's like, nah, it's fine. I can see it. And we're like, yeah, okay. And what he probably should have done um, is chip it backwards and get it in the fairway. But he decided to try and play it down towards the green and managed to knife it into the other side, the other bank. It hits a rock or something and pings back into the penalty area. So it never came out of the penalty area, same penalty area. Pings back in. He That was unplayable. So he he chooses his option because he didn't want to go back to the tee, didn't want to go back up, back in line, didn't want to go to club links from his last point, you know, last entry cross. And so he decides that he's going to drop it inside the penalty area within the one club length. Um, effectively like an unplayable, like a stroke and distance, uh, a stroke and distance inside, which is a very unusual and not one that you see very often. Um, so he does that and it, and he's, he takes about two minutes. Not, not good for pace of play, but he takes about two minutes mm. to actually work out his relief area just so that he, he doesn't want to drop it and it rolls within the one club length but stays in the ditch. Um, because then, you know, you've, you've one penalty stroke and then you probably have to go and choose one of the other options for another penalty stroke. So, but he, he drops it and it rolls forward out of the relief area, drops it, rolls forward, and then he gets to place it. And then he gets to place it. Uh, yeah. And then he gets to place it and um, it didn't come to rest. So he tries to place on the same spot again, didn't come to rest. So he, places it back a little bit further up the hill, comes to rest, ready to go. And then he, and then he's, uh, he's managed to chip it out after that. So it was uh, one into the penalty area, two having a shot, three penalty shot, shot, and then four out onto the fairway. And then he's hit five into the green and made seven i think so he's made a triple bogey so then i follow him because they were last group i follow them up the last hole the night which was one of the toughest hole at um slaley hall and he hits it left into the penalty area and i find this ball and i was like oh, i don't think it's his it was up it was stuck in the penalty area halfway up a tree and then the scorer comes along and goes oh i think it's that ball and the scorer was right. It was actually in visibility and Barry sees it and goes, oh, here we go then. Um, and decides to try and have another shot at it. Like, so it's in the penalty area. It's playable when he tries to hit it backwards. Fats it. Stays in the penalty area. Um, but in the water and he ends up that time he ends up taking the lateral relief drop so um there's two situations where slightly different same player lifted in the penalty area both same penalty area both times and had do, two different relief options one was stroking distance inside the penalty area and the other was the lateral relief for the last point crossed which was from shot one not from shot two so um I think he ended up with another seven, and there you go. There's uh, six shots over for the last two mm. holes on that Saturday, so uh, it wasn't great. I mean, imagine in the world of golf, 
if a ball is lying in the penalty area, how many times, or the ball comes to rest in the penalty area, what percentage don't play as it lies, just take one of the relief options. You know, it'd have to be um, vast majority would take relief because there's a lot of water. It's just horrible. It's just difficult to get a club on the ball. But here we've had this guy two, two holes in a row. He's attempted to play as it lies. And then on both occasions, not got out of the penalty area. Not extracted um, it. Extracted it, exited, which brings in 17.2, which you don't see that often, really. No, you don't is... see 17.2 17 come in. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, if if it's water, like a big lake, you can't basically you can't play as it lies. But if we are making starting to make wooded areas and long grass as penalty areas, a lot of people will attempt to play it if they find yes. the ball and they maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but you know, so this is actually seventeen point two probably comes in a little bit more, or is something mm. that people need to know a little bit more than they they possibly do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. But yeah, international any more, series. Um, was, any more was, from that uh, event? I didn't really have too much. Um, there were a lot of um, mole hills or mole holes. Um, it was like a they dig a hole, but then they leave their dirt um, above the ground, and so it was. That one was a bit off-putting because there was sort of this dirt here and then there was a little bit of sprinkling of dirt here and you're like, well, you know, is it part of the the mole hill or the mole hole um, or is it just loose dirt? And so those those are some things that we had to um, to go through as a committee and, and cover off and um, either give relief or, or not give relief. Um, you know, it does say the loose material, the animal dug it out of the hole is included in the term animal hole. Animal hole, yeah. So if it's an animal hole and it's that loose dirt, loose material that animal dug out of the hole, then that is part of the ground under it's repair. All part of it. mm. And then mm. they get they get released. So I kind of gave someone relief and uh, you could have gone 50-50 with it. I didn't really um, feel that he shouldn't have got relief, but at the same time, he got really lucky with the relief. So I was like, mm, that that sucks but um <laughs> yeah and then there was there was another one there was a, I had an embedded ball and again I was a bit 50 50 on this one I I didn't give the player relief for the embedded ball because it was really just embedded in in this really soft leaves and and but there was a bit of moss there as well and yeah it really got me thinking about where the actual surface of the ground starts when there's a lot of loose impediments on the grass did you um, mark and lift the ground. ball to check? Yeah, we did. We did. We lifted it. And then you could just see that there was a lot of, yeah, leads and, and it sort of, yeah. But but that, does that, you know, that compost almost? No, not compost. Very um, interesting. Yeah, the moss. Yeah. Heat, heat type thing. Um, does that become the surface of the ground? Probably right. something I should uh, ask the RNA. But th I didn't really have too many rulings. Um, but I had a lot of a lot of uh, time on the stopwatch. You know, there were a lot of there were a lot of tough holes. Um, a lot of holes. There, there weren't wasn't too many drivers being hit, and a lot of layup holes. <laughs> and the layup actually meant that you know now they're hitting three, four, five iron and um, making the hole longer and making the course longer. Um, and that's fine off the tee. They sort of you know okay I'm. 
I'll hit three iron. I'm not going to be as wide off the tee, so we don't have to search for as don't have to search for as many balls off the tee. But then there'll be their their margin of error will be increased into the green, and um, they'll miss the green a lot more with those longer irons, longer which irons. meant that mm. which meant that they slow down around the green because they've got to have their chip shot. Um, their first putt and then possibly, you know, second putt or whatever. So it actually slows them down around the green, even though they might not be as slow mm. around the tee shots. Um, and there was a couple of brutal holes, like 18 and 9 and 4. Um, so we we really were trying to get onto the monitoring as quick as possible. Um, and But a couple of groups probably played in just over five hours, which is which is, yeah. isn't very entertaining, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Interesting you talk about brutal holes and, you know, making it tough for the players. I'd like to um, congratulate Minji Lee on winning the US Open. Um, an Australian, just a wonderful achievement uh, to do it as, I wouldn't say comfortably, but in the end, the margin was comfortable. Um, just a wonderful um, performance by her. Um, which Yeah, just fantastic. I was watching a lot of it, the, the back nine. Just on that, if I may, having watched it as much as I did the last round, I don't know if you knew this, but only two players during the fourth round broke par. Only two. And here are the best players in the world. And only two of them broke par. I'd be interested in, you know, you're talking about what the committee decides, what do you, all your referees decide to do for marking an animal hole or whatever, or moles or whatever. How do how does a committee set up a course? What are some of the things they do to uh, make it, difficult for only two of the best players to break par. Yeah, well, at the start of the week and throughout sort of the Monday, Tuesday, and the pre-week as well, probably more important, but um, you're looking at which pin positions you're going to set the course up with. I mean, the T the T positions wouldn't really change. Actually, the T positions, they're more likely to bring the T's up a little bit um, to maybe engage in a shorter par four um, or, you know, have them trying to go for the par fives and two. So you're actually going to more likely to bring the tees up on the weekend, um, whereas have the longest course you can on the Thursday, Friday. That's the that's the norm. I'm not saying that's right, but that's the norm um, or the usual story. Um, but, yeah, certainly the pin positions. Uh, I mean, pin positions, in my mind, you know, can change a hard course into an easy course, can change a, a slow course into a fast course, whatever. Uh, just just like that, you know, you stick all your pin positions in the middle of the green and you'll find that they're accessible and the scoring's going really well. Whereas if you stick them in the corners, um, you know, the players have to suddenly, suddenly they can't just shoot at the middle of the green and they can't just miss a green and then hit it out of the trees onto the green and, and be in a good position. Um, so you'll you'll have your Sunday pins. You know they're not stuck necessarily three foot from the edge of the green um, from the fringe, but they will be in positions where you have to actually be in the perfect position off the tee, or there might not just even be a perfect position off the tee. You've just got to shape a shot in, or you've just got to basically play away from that pin position to the middle of the green, take your two putts. Um, and get out of there with a par. So that's most likely what would have happened um, on the Sunday at the US Open, plus the fact that it's a Sunday at a US Open. Um, 
you know, that's the, it's amazing the scores that can occur when, you know, such a massive tournament is the, the winning is on the line and stuff like that. So, you know, that the money for the women was incredible for that tournament. And, you know, everyone, everyone in the top five, top 10 is thinking about that. You know, I mean, I think Minji ended up winning 1.8 million US. Um, so, you know, filtered down from that, the next person probably got 900,000 or something, which is a lot of money for, um, for anyone. <laughs> yep. The, uh, going through the scores to find out that only two broke par, there were a few eights. There were a few, I don't mean whole scores, I mean uh, round scores that were 80-something. Uh, there were a few of them. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, the weather, said, the weather was okay, wasn't it? Yeah, it's perfectly fine. I mean, from what I saw. So, yeah, it was you fine, know, so but, that, that really just tells you that the pin positions were put in tricky locations, you know, locations that if, the, if it was hard and fast and they were put at the front of the green with a false front, <laughs> very hard <laughs> location to get to. Um, if they were put right tucked in behind a bunker um, with with the most of the women hitting six or seven iron in, very hard to stop. Um, so those are the those are the things that you know. If you if you tuck it behind a uh, a bunker with players hitting sandwich and wedge, they, it's still accessible. Um, if you put it at the front when there's no false front, um, it's still accessible. Mm. But uh, you know, there's there's there are places on most greens that you can find that uh, make it a little bit harder and, and a bit of a challenge. And if you put them all on the same day, um, scoring is going to be going to be tricky. You know, I've certainly heard at club level on many like countless occasions how many people have this belief that there's a rule that says um, the hole cannot be within X distance to the edge of the green. Mm. In other words, you know, <laughs> maybe you've heard that before. I've certainly heard it a lot of times. Many In other words, I've seen a pin position, which is really, oh, I don't think they're allowed to put it that close to the edge of the green. Surely you've heard that. You can, millions of times, Stuart. You can put it anywhere you yeah. like on the, or the committee can put it anywhere they like on the green. Mm. Um, but they just need to think about who's playing and the enjoyment of um, that player's round and also the pace of play for the rest of the players. I mean, I saw, was it an NCAA tournament recently um, where you couldn't even stop the ball beside the hole it was just ridiculous and so people were actually you know having good scores and then suddenly they'd have a 14 because they were putting 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 um, wow. you know that's that's not enjoyable for anyone that fails anyone, all those criteria you just mentioned so far as enjoyment anyone, of anyone, line, watching, anyone playing yeah. it's just mm. not enjoyable at all mm. just quickly just finally talked about the purse the thing I heard on the Sunday was seventh place at the US Open was going to win more money than the winner of the LPGA tournament next week. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, that's good that they're growing the growing the purses for some certain um, tournaments, and hopefully, you know, onwards and upwards they'll get even more uh, soon. You know. Now, speaking of big tournaments, can you share with us what you're doing this week, please? Yeah, I was going to say it would be awesome if the LPGA and um, Live Golf got together. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm in London for the first ever Live Golf tournament at Centurion. It's an interesting format. It's a shotgun start for 48 players at 2 p.m. Um, 
there's 16 groups which will be uh, not quite on 16. I think the first couple of rounds they might be on 16 holes, but um, then the last day they might um, play a couple of groups off the first. Um, but you know, the Centurion course probably doesn't lend itself to the perfect shotgun start course because the course basically stretches itself away from the clubhouse. So there's only about um, three tees that you could actually walk to. Um, and then the rest are just miles away. Uh, but, it, you know, it's going to, it's, it's an entertainment vehicle. It's, it's going to be fun to be a part of and, and watch. And um, everyone tees off at two and hopefully we'll have everyone in by 7 p.m. Um, light is fine. We don't have to worry about light this week. Um, but then they're going to have a, you know, some concerts and stuff afterwards. Uh, so it's it's a real entertainment vehicle using golf as the basis. Um, but patrons can come in from 11 a.m. and, you know, make a day of it. Um, either on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they can get up, and, up close and personal with a lot of their um, favourite players. You know, not all their favourite players are going to be there, but, you know, it's a good start. And, uh, you know, the, play the players are enjoying it so far. Um, there's lots of bad publicity, um, but at the same time, there's lots of publicity, free publicity. So um, make of it what you will. If you think uh, it's something that you enjoy watching or, or whatever, um, then that's, it. that's all it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a, an entertainment vehicle for you the fans and if you don't like it you know you don't watch and then they'll have for to sure. change their model yeah that, that, that's what it comes down to if if people enjoy it then they'll keep watching it and live golf will keep mm. being something if it if it's not enjoyable if people don't turn up um they'll quit you know it'll be a business decision and say that this isn't working and we need to try something else and uh, and they'll go somewhere else so um, I'm just really excited to be part of the first one, whether it works or not, you know, we'll, we'll see, but, uh, the, um, so at the moment, like yesterday, I went and saw the course for the first time. Um, it looks hard, like it's long. Um, I mean, we've got some 450 meter par oars and the ground is a bit wet because we've had a bit of rain in London. So the ball, I don't think the ball will be rolling too far. Um, so it, it looks quite hard. Um, there's a couple of short par threes, but there's a couple of real long ones as well. Um, the greens, they'll get them up to, they're hoping to get them to about 11, um, which, which will be fast. Um, I don't think it's going to get too windy here, so they don't have to sort of worry about that. The only sort of concern for weather-wise would be if it gets too wet. Um, so you want to put the pin positions on higher spots. So it's not to, uh, you know, you put your pin positions in lower spots, you're going to more sus uh, susceptible if it does start raining. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, no, it's, uh, it's the Tuesday here now and uh, we're just getting set up for hopefully what will be a, an awesome tournament. That sounds great. And we look forward to hearing about it once it's all done and dusted, maybe next week or so. I'm just interested now, you're two days out. So what, what do you, as a referee for this event, what will you do? What does that look like in the next two days? You know, walking the course, having meetings with the committee or the tournament director and the other referees. What, 
What does your next two days look for, look like in preparation for the event? Yeah, so yesterday I walked the course. I always try and walk the course um, the first day that I get there. Um, I don't think I did in Thailand because I think I might have walked nine, but uh, it was so hot. Um, but here, <laughs> here, walking the course is good to warm up. Uh, but it's a bit of a slog, you know, it's up and down hilly um, and going all the way out there and all the way back um, was, was a bit of a slog, but, you know, not carrying clubs, so I shouldn't complain too much. Um, but, yeah, we were just checking it out and you just sort of, you know, with the chief referee just and the tournament director, you know, um, just saying, oh, we should do this with this hole, or we should do that with the, the car paths or, um, you know, make him... There's, we have some sleepers, some railway sleepers in bunkers. Um, so we'll make them integral parts of the course uh, so that, you know, if your ball was up against it, you won't be able to get free relief. You have to take penalty relief to get out of that bunker. Or um, even if you're outside the bunker and you have interference, you have to take penalty relief to get away from it. Um, we look at the, you know, the pace of play, uh, how, how long we think the players are going to play you know and hopefully um they are around that time they have to realize that this is an entertainment vehicle and if they take too long um you know it's going to be uh, looked on by everyone around the world um mm. as you know maybe this is a bit it's a bit boring if people take too long and then the entertainment um it loses its value so we need to make sure that the players are aware of this and they keep a good pace of play um so that that'll be interesting but yeah those are the sort of little things i don't actually um, do any of the marking um you know there's seven of us so there's plenty of people to do the marking there were four penalty areas i think uh, four penalty areas that they've marked um the out of bounds is basically the fence um so that's all right um, you don't really you just need to put local rules what the out of bounds is um Oh, actually, we do have state, a sort of a staked area around the clubhouse um, and around the driving range. But yeah, it's that, for out it, of bounds. Yeah, for out of bounds. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just <clears throat> making sure the local rules are airtight and talking with the other referees um, about how to, you know, how the course should be set up and stuff like that. And then obviously, you know, the lead-in time for our tournament director with the. Um, greenkeeper, the head superintendent, um, and how they want the course. Um, that's all been done, you know, two months ago type thing. So um, we can't really change that now. But, you know, there's there's a few bunkers that got a bit waterlogged with some recent rain. So they'll need to um, be looked after, maintained and stuff like that. And then, you know, it's also so important that it's quite a big build here. So looking at the TIOs, and, uh, you know, where relief um, can be taken and whether we need drop zones and stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's cool. Uh, this is, you know, the prep. If you get the prep right before the tournament, then um, there shouldn't be any major issues uh, for the tournament itself. You know, we'd look at uh, if there are any holes, dog leg holes that people might want to cut across and, and you know, whether we should put internal out of bounds, which we did last week at International Series England, uh, but we won't be needing to do that this week. 
That's all very cool. Thank you for sharing that. All very cool. As I said, look forward to hearing about it uh, next week. Um, are we done for this podcast? We do have a GRQOTW to cover before we finish, but anything else you'd like to cover? No, I think actually I was thinking about, I was thinking, trying to think of a couple of situations where the rules could, the rules could have, knowing the rules could help you. Um, mm. And I should, I'll leave one for the question for next week because I know that you've got one in the chamber. But uh, I was just thinking if you, if a dog picks up your ball um, and then, you know, it's, let's say it's a friendly dog, mm-hmm. but it, it could take some, some time to get the ball out of its mouth because it. It, want, mm-hmm. yeah, it wants to replay, uh, re, uh, play a little bit around whether it's your dog or someone else's dog, it's not going to bite you, but it's a, you know, it, it just, it's a playful dog that wants to hold onto the ball. Um, you know, you can actually, knowing the rules, you'd, you'd be able to substitute another ball because your 9.6 outside influence, mm. yeah, outside influence has taken your ball. Okay. You need to replace that ball, but if it's not easily retrievable, then you can substitute another ball. So, you know that you could go over that dog and maybe play around with its mouth and um, and get the ball, but that could take 10, 20, 30 seconds. So you, you decide that it's not easily retrievable and you can just replace another ball on the spot. Um, and that sort of, it also takes out the fact that if it was just scuffed from the tiger's earth tiger, from the dog's <laughs> teeth, yeah, teeth. Um, mm. if it was just scuffed from the dog's teeth, um, then you wouldn't be able to substitute another ball. You wouldn't, wouldn't be able to replace it. Uh, but the, the fact that it's not easily retrievable, you actually can just substitute in another ball. And so that's a, you know, the, I'm sure there's other ones that we can think about. We, you know, really do knowing the rules or really do know, uh, really knowing the rules is, yeah, is helpful. Um, so now it's so... Um, my first question to you, but my first question I was going to ask you, but you answered it was, did the dog pick up the ball at rest or was the ball still in motion? But you answered that when you mentioned 9.6. So, because obviously it's two different rules, but um, you answered yeah. that question anyway. Yeah, well, um, I mean, 11.1 for ball in motion, um, because it was, a, it was a dog, it was accidental. And then if it's in its mouth, you just pick the spot directly below where the dog, dog is and then and then move the dog along and proceed <laughs> under that by substituting a ball. Hopefully you don't have to in, uh, invoke 16.2 if the dog uh, doesn't get aggressive. Yeah, that's right. We did. We, I think we put in our blooper um, videos... Putting out blooper videos, one uh, that one where the dog stole the ball in the European tour event, that was quite funny. Anyway, sixteen point two for those who don't know is a dangerous animal condition. So hopefully you don't have to invoke that one. Um, yes, GRQOTW for episode fifty-eight is Helen and Charlotte are playing in a stroke play event, and uh, both are on the green. Their balls are both on the green. And Helen is just behind. Charlotte's a long way away and, and is first to play. Um, both the balls are sitting there. Charlotte putts. A little bit too much pace on it. Um, Charlotte putts 
and Helen realizes that Charlotte's ball is going to go past the ball, past the hole, and come very close to her own ball, which is sitting there at rest on the green. So Helen very, very quickly leans down and picks up her ball to get out of the way of Charlotte's ball in motion. And then once Charlotte's ball passes, um, Helen then puts her ball marker down to mark the spot where she just um, lifted her ball from on the putting green. So Charlotte's putting, ball goes past the hole. Helen goes, oh, Charlotte's ball might hit mine. I know that's a penalty. So she leans down quickly, picks up her ball while Charlotte's ball is in motion and puts a marker down to mark that spot. Is there any that penalty by the, by the player in that situation? Sounds good by Helen. Good on you, Helen. She was just trying to help. Just trying to help and avoid Charlotte getting the general penalty. Good question. Let's uh, let's see what the answers are that come in. Right. Very good. So that's it for this podcast. Episode 58, sign off. Thank you very much for uh, co-hosting it with me. Pleasure. Look forward to hearing about your event this week. I hope it's exciting. Yes, thank you very much. I'll uh, I'll fly back and we'll do uh, we'll do the uh, the next podcast next week after I've got over my jet lag. <laughs> I look forward to it. All right, mate. Thank you. Okay. See you later. See you, everyone.